Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. We welcome back a guest that's definitely one of, if not my favorite. His name is Scott M. Paul. He is president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. Now, you've heard him and you've heard of them. They're called the AAM. They're a partnership established by some of America's leading manufacturers and the United Steelworkers Union. For years now, Scott and the AAM, they've worked to make American manufacturing a top-of-mind issue for voters and for our national leaders. They've done it through effective advocacy, innovative research, and a savvy PR strategy, and we know it's working. Why? Well, just look at how to vote, look at the issues that matter most, and look at the outcome of this election and why we have the outcome according to many blue-collar, working-class, middle-class voters. More than a pleasure, Scott, back on the show. Scott, good afternoon and welcome. Hey, Leslie, happy, uh, happy week after Thanksgiving where everybody's shopping and recovering from all those conversations in Turkey. I, I know, exactly. I mean, it was Black Friday, then Cyber Monday, and today is Gift-Giving Tuesday, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And, 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 and Small Business Saturday was in there uh, as well. So oh, really? plenty of opportunities oh, really? to spend thought... billions of dollars. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ab- absolutely, uh, absolutely amazing. Um, you guys did a poll that I wanted to talk about, and, you know, when you look at the election, one of the things that people look at exit polls is they break it down based on demographics, you know, who voted for who, but the why is really important. In other words, going forward, what do voters want from Washington now that the election has passed, the decision has been made, and why they cast their vote for who they did. Um, even in the popular vote, the majority went for Hillary in the Electoral College, obviously, currently, I say, because there are recounts going on in some states. But, you know, currently the Electoral College has uh, shown uh, that Donald Trump is, you know, the winner, and he is our president-elect. So talk to us about uh, this poll, uh, Scott. First of all, um, why you wanted this information and what your poll found. Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, there there was no shortage of analysis about why Trump won the election in the Electoral College, um, why Clinton lost. And, and you know, I mean, you know, it was on every, every show, uh, every newscast in, in every opinion piece. Uh, but I think the – and it takes time to process all that. We wanted to also look ahead and see that, you know, these voters who had just cast votes for, for Donald Trump or for Hillary Clinton, I mean, what did they want to see happen? What, what were the important issues to them moving ahead? And so, you know, just basically starting two days after the election, we had – Mark Melman, who's a pollster for Harry Reid uh, and other leading Democrats, and Whit Ayers, who 
polled for Marco Rubio uh, in the primaries and who's been a longtime pollster for a number of Republican senators, uh, put a poll in the field and ask these types of questions and also get those interesting demographic breakdowns that everybody is interested in. Uh, and it would come as no surprise to you, Leslie, or to your listeners, that since we're a manufacturing organization, we asked a lot of questions about trade and manufacturing. And not coincidentally, as, as you also pointed out uh, in the lead-up uh, to, to this segment, uh, you know, this was a big issue that the candidates talked about, uh, Trump in particular. Um, and so uh, our hope was to help uh, inform the debate as we move forward, uh, but also take this information to Capitol Hill, uh, to, to our lawmakers, to both sides of the aisles, uh, and, and to kind of lay down what voters are looking for on the economy and all these sorts of issues uh, as, as we move ahead and get into the nuts and bolts of policymaking again next year. Absolutely. And let's talk about some of those specifics. And what you guys uh, talk about is something that was not just for those who voted for Trump, but for Hillary Clinton as well. Uh, revitalizing U.S. manufacturing, fixing trade deals or eliminating trade deals like TPP, making significant investments in our nation's infrastructure. This is, this is basically what the American people are saying, whether they voted for Trump or they voted for Hillary, or heck, even Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, I would imagine, that they want these to be the priorities in the first 100 days, right? Yeah, they sure do. Uh, and the the only issue uh, among all demographics that had as much concern as stopping the loss of jobs overseas, uh, investing in jobs, uh, was really the the terrorist threat. Um, and that's that I would say has been elevated over the last couple of years. Uh, but but other than that issue, which which is very important, um, the, the the manufacturing issues were were uh, top of mind and, and I'll, I'll, I'll remind folks that this wasn't just a poll of those industrial heartland voters in, in, in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan. This is all over the country uh, and this is also uh, every demographic uh, and so it was uh, I think that's important to point out that it's not just the stereotypical white working class male who feels this way, uh, it is a cross-section of the entire American electorate, uh, you know, including, you know, the, the, the 47% uh, of, of Americans uh, who voted for Hillary Clinton as well. Uh, absolutely, because it comes down to that four-letter word, jobs, right? And we kind of knew this going into that. Under that, the you know, it's the economy, stupid. Jobs, jobs, jobs. Stop sending our jobs overseas. Create new jobs. Do you think that's why some people would want a wall built, Scott, is just because they consider that part of, like, an infrastructure package and see jobs as cre being created by the building of such and also the manning of such, like with more Border Patrol agents possibly? Yeah, you know, it, it, it's quite possible that it could be. I mean, one of the one of the other criticisms I've seen of, of Clinton, and this is, and, and this was also uh, some praise given to Trump's approach, not on the issue, but just in the framing, was that uh, Trump gave voters something tangible to consider, whether it's ripping up a trade deal or you know shaming a company that was shipping jobs overseas. 
currencies or building something physical like the wall. It was a very tangible thing that that people could people could grasp. And and uh, you know you, you either you either thought it was a great idea or you didn't think it was a great idea, but you knew exactly what it was, and he he created that narrative. Um, but I do think that there's a lot of awareness among voters about the need to, to, to rebuild, um, you know, just this inherent sense that we have to both create more of these good-paying blue-collar jobs uh, and also that we have to repair our country, both literally and figuratively, that we have water systems that are failing, that we have bridges that are dilapidated, uh, that we do have airports that aren't nearly as sophisticated as, as some international airports that we see around the world. And so we have a lot of progress uh, that's still to be made. Uh, and so, you know, one of the reasons why, we, why we, we conducted this poll as well is that, you know, in the coming months, there, you know, there will be a lot of competing pressures. Is Trump going to revert to a typical kind of Republican playbook where they're going to look at tax cuts, but they're not going to want to spend much money on these types of investment? You know, or is he going to be a wild card? Uh, and, and what are Democrats going to do as well? Are they just going to be a loyal opposition and want to oppose everything? Or are they going to look to want to uh, work with Trump uh, when he's genuinely interested in policies uh, that will put workers first uh, and will put Americans back to work? We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with our great guest, Scott Paul from the AAM. Pick up the phone and join us if you have questions or comments. 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. That's 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. Pick up the phone and join us back right after this. And we're back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. Happy Tuesday after Thanksgiving in this November at the end of the month, heading into December and the end of the year. Scott and Paul is our guest president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. And speaking of president, we're talking about the election. Uh, Trump uh, won, but AAM did a poll, and that working-class voters, um, you know, they said, hey, you know, what do you want from Washington based on why they voted and not just who they voted for, but why? Um, Scott, Thank you for holding. Welcome back. The vote, clearly, when you look at the percentages, those that support having more creation of, uh, you know, improving America's infrastructure and creating jobs in the process, whether they were Trump supporters or Hillary supporters, you're talking high 80s, almost 90 percent. So basically, the vote for American manufacturing not only was extremely pronounced, but because both Trump and Hillary supporters um, you know, uh, uh, you know, expressed the same idea, if you will, were on the same page with regard to infrastructure, job creation, uh, you know, getting rid of or, you know, uh, reconstructing uh, trade deals. This was widespread and bipartisan as well, correct? It, it certainly was, and I'd be quick to add that this is exactly what pollsters love to see when you get that harmony among competing uh, demographic groups, you know, who voted for a different candidate or uh, who uh, who come from different backgrounds, and the fact that uh, majorities, include, well, vast majorities, as you said, Leslie, of both uh, Trump and Clinton voters uh, want to have pro-worker, pro-manufacturing policies on rebuilding infrastructure, uh, reforming our trade policy, having a ma- national manufacturing strategy, having Buy America policies uh, is, I think, 
significant, and that's one of the reasons why we wanted to try to get it out there, because I'm under the assumption, you probably are too, that if we get to Supreme Court nominations, we get to repealing uh, the Affordable Care Act, uh, we get to some of these other issues, they are incredibly divisive, incredibly divisive. Uh, Here's a set of issues that not only bring people together, uh, but it's actually something that Trump campaigned on as well. And, and a lot of those Democrats from the industrial heartland states, you know, I'm thinking of, of senators like Sherrod Brown, strongly support. So I, I think that, you know, if you want to send a message that you've listened to the voters of America, you want to invest in jobs of the future, this is a great battle plan uh, if, if you're a president uh, or if you're in the Congress. For those that want to read a great piece, and Scott's written many as president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, go to AmericanManufacturing.org and check out some of his blogs, uh, one of which, uh, which you wrote about what will the next president and Congress do to address it when we talk about the vote for American manufacturing being pronounced, being widespread, being bipartisan. Um, you, you say, you know, clear takeaways, not only from the election, but from these post-election polls like you guys have conducted, is that regardless of socioeconomic status and regardless of ideology, there's real economic pain across large swaths of America. And you wrote, the pain comes in many forms. Deindustrialization, wage stagnation, debt, underemployment, immobility, and more. And you say it's unwise to ignore this pain. Is it safe to say that Trump didn't and Clinton did to a degree? You know, that that is a good question. And you know, Hillary Clinton certainly did speak to these issues. Uh, there, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but I think the challenge for her was that it wasn't at the top of every speech like it was for, for Donald Trump. And she had what I would charitably call a complex record on some of these issues, like, like trade uh, in, in particular, uh, that was easy to attack, whether it was fair or unfair. And what I've noticed, and this is the, you know, this is the, 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 the way in which I kind of part ways from my progressive friends on the coast, I'm a progressive from the heartland, I live on the coast now, is that, you know, there, there's, a, there's a group of, of, of Americans, a large group, you know, and they are people of, of color and, and they are white as well, who are feeling this economic pain. Uh, and it's been in their communities sometimes for generations because of this deindustrialization. And it's meant not only lost jobs, but it's meant lost wages for everyone in the community. And it's ripped apart the social fabric community uh, in, in some cases where a spark like, uh, like uh, police uh, po- police violence directed at some, or, uh, or, or or when you have some uprisings, uh, or you see it in opioid uh, overdoses and, and epidemics. I mean, it's manifested itself in a number of different ways around the country, but it's there and it's real. And, and to dismiss that, to dismiss that, I think is a very huge mistake. And there's a whole lot of people who, who voted for Trump, who didn't do so uh, because they were racist, 
or xenophobic. Uh, it's because they were feeling this pain. And look, I don't know how to quantify the percentages or anything like like that. But I know, you know, you know, seven out of, you know, seventy percent of the voters in my own hometown I know supported Donald Trump, and I know them to be decent people. Uh, I don't think I agree with them on policy very much, uh, but they're, they clearly don't feel the economic benefits uh, that some people feel in this economy that, that seem to be concentrated on the coasts and, and with the 1%. Uh, and so to dismiss that pain is a very, very serious mistake, I think. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. You talked before the election, um, during and certainly since, and you speak to this in your piece as well, that the top of the list for people, whether it's Trump or Clinton voters, is strengthening domestic manufacturing. Um, talk to us about how this possibly could be done. I mean, we talked about Trump talking about manufacturing jobs constantly while on the election trail, um, and that there were a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, you know money that spent millions on the motif of "Made in America," certainly in the form of campaign ads, and why Trump's message may have been more effective. To your point, um, that. The bipartisan post-election poll of voters, and you mentioned it was conducted by Mark Melman, with heirs for the AAM, um, shows that there was broad support for policies to create more opportunities for manufacturing in America. How can Donald Trump do that? How is he proposed to do that? And is it a realistic proposal when we look at right now and we look at also the Republican majority in the House and the Senate? I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome, welcome back. And we are talking with Scott Paul, president of the AAM, the Alliance for American Manufacturing. I've told you before, I'll tell you again, follow Scott on Twitter, at Scott Paul AAM, and the website is AmericanManufacturing.org. Uh, Scott, before the break, I was asking you a question. I didn't realize you were so close um, to uh, the uh, break. Um, but uh, let's talk about how could Trump create manufacturing jobs. What is the plan that he spoke of, if any? What do you think would be most effective for him to do, especially while he does have a majority of Republicans in both the House and the Senate currently? Yeah, that's a good question, and those Republican majorities are probably some of the biggest obstacles to, to doing something, because some of the some of the things that he has suggested on uh, for, for manufacturing are issues that Democrats uh, have traditionally support it, uh, but, but not some of his, uh, his Republican leaders. Um, and I will say that you know, some analysts, and Leslie, I'm sure you've heard this too, have said, you know what, these jobs aren't coming back. The robots are taking over anyway. Why fight these old kind of economic battles? We have to come to grips with the fact that, that we're, we're, we're moving on from this. Um, and it's easy to frame it that way, in part because Donald Trump helped to frame it that way. He's going to bring back the economy that we saw from the 1950s, uh, you know, bring steel back and coal back and all of that. Um, and and the, the truth is, as it usually is, is somewhere in between. I think there's definitely a way to regrow manufacturing jobs. I think part of it is, is uh, through investments, and that means spending money. Uh, or borrowing, uh, or or raising revenues, uh, and and we should do that for our infrastructure because there's a great return on that investment uh, in both construction and manufacturing jobs. Uh, we could we should invest in worker training uh, 
and uh, in vocational education uh, because those middle skill jobs, these jobs that require something more than a high school degree but they don't require a four-year college degree, are going to be in demand, uh, and if we have a prepared workforce for that, uh, we, we can compete for those jobs, uh, but that also takes investments. Uh, if we restructure the tax code uh, to make sure that we're eliminating incentives for offshoring jobs uh, and promoting made-in-America jobs, that's a good thing. I don't think Wall Street banks need a tax break. I don't think Walmart needs a tax break. I do think that businesses that are creating good jobs right here in America that are in global competition, uh, you know, could, could probably use uh, some, sort of, uh, some sort of sensible tax relief. So I think that's important. And then on the trade front, uh, you know, there, there's definitely a way to do better trade deals. Uh, and it means bargaining tougher. Uh, it means getting better worker rights and environmental standards in trade agreements. It means dealing with an issue called currency manipulation that we've discussed before. And it means looking at, at the results of this. If you see a bunch of imports coming in, but you're not getting goods into that market, you've you got to make some adjustments. And so I think that can all be part of a strategy uh, that would help to grow some manufacturing jobs. And, and and, and you're right, there's not going to be a new steel mill with 30,000 people suddenly pop up, uh, but it will be possible to get some of those small and mid-sized manufacturing firms back to the United States. It will be possible for the Elon Musks of the world to build more Tesla plants or solar city plants uh, for, for the new generation of manufacturing. Uh, and we should be making those 3D printer, printers and robots right here in the United States as well. So uh, the, I, I see a bright future. Uh, and the, but the question is, how divisive does this Congress want to be? Uh, how willing is Trump going to be to work with the senators like Chuck Schumer? Uh, and how how willing are Democrats going to be uh, to, to work with, uh, with Donald Trump next year? Uh, you also, you just mentioned about trade, and uh, trade was a huge issue. We saw that in the, in the polls and pieces that you've written. I love uh, a piece where you talk about where you come from, that you were raised in a small town in Indiana that actually gave Donald Trump approximately 70% of the vote on Election Day. And you had mentioned this before. Uh, the break earlier in the program that, you know, it, it didn't have to do with uh, any of the misogyny, race baiting, uh, bullying, more extreme uh, stances. Uh, the, the bottom line was jobs, jobs, jobs. In these communities that you grew up in, Scott, that have seen jobs offshored, factories closed, their dreams are shattered, social fabrics ripped apart, um, they're basically looking at somebody they perceive as a successful businessman to change the way things have been. Because on paper, things have improved, but that hasn't trickled down to the heartland, such as that small town in Indiana where you're from. Yeah, that's right. I mean, what they've seen are uh, closed factories, padlocks, uh, weeds coming up through the cracks in the parking lots. Uh, they've seen uh, downscaled ambitions. They've seen meth labs. Uh, pop up in some places. They've seen the flight of young people away because there's a lack of opportunity. Um, and, you know, as social science has shown us over the last year, you've seen, you know, worse mortality rates for, uh, for a lot of the, the middle class, both men and women, in those communities, and that's really disturbing. So it's uh, and 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 look, we saw this a generation before uh, in, in our uh, in our urban areas as well. So it's not limited to the white working class; it's the entire 
working class. But that is real. Uh, and just to, you know, again, just to dismiss any, any of Trump's ideas or his supporters as, as being uh, white supremacist uh, or xenophobic or something like that is a mistake. There is no doubt that there are people in that movement uh, who have latched onto him, and he has said some really disturbing things, uh, but at the same time he's tapped into this economic pain uh, that a lot of communities are, are feeling. And I looked at, you know, I saw Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Sherrod Brown, others saying, look, we'll work with Trump on infrastructure. We'll work him with him on trade if he's serious about this stuff, because we see the pain as well. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, when people people say, you know, can't we, why can't we all get, just get along or why can't we all work together, there is that willingness. The problem is when it comes down to well, how do you want to work together? Because one of the things is Donald Trump needs to, I feel, lead by example. We are reading every day, I just saw this morning, how many projects and businesses he has overseas. That doesn't help the American worker at all. It helps Trump's uh, corporation and his bottom line and his family's bottom line, but that does not help the American worker. No, it certainly doesn't. We made this point during the campaign that when it, when, it, when it came to his own business decisions, he certainly didn't follow the model that he's talking about. It, not at all. Uh, but I, whatever, you know, whatever resonance that had for someone like me, for others, uh, it, it, it didn't for a lot of those voters in Pennsylvania or uh, Wisconsin or, or Michigan or Ohio, for, for example, uh, or, or in my home state of Indiana. So, so I, you know, they, 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 uh, they obviously were willing to, to overlook that and consider a, a new approach. Um, and that, you know, it, it, it surprised me as, it, as much as it surprised some other folks. But again, if the, you know, if the outcome is to right away want to repeal the Affordable Care Act, want to do controversial Supreme Court nominations, want to roll back a lot of some of the, the the sensible regulations of the Obama administration want to give Wall Street a big tax break uh, and, uh, and 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 pursue kind of the uh, a conservative uh, devolution agenda. Uh, th- that's not what the vote said to me. The, the vote said to me, address this economic pain uh, and let's work together to get some things done. We've seen dysfunction. We've seen people ignore our concerns. Uh, Let's get our economy back on track uh, in in these states uh, and in in these sectors uh, that need need to get growing again. Uh, Before we take a break, I want to share some things that have been been, uh, tweeting here. And uh, let me get back to that tab. you know, because we put it out there, as you know, Scott, on, on social media. Um, Lee Deplorable Mofo, yes, that's his Twitter handle, um, he says manufacturing has got to be better under a Donald Trump administration. Can you talk to us about why somebody would have that mindset? Is it true that manufacturing has not been good under the uh, President Obama administration over the past eight years? We also have David Handler tweeting, it's got to be better than the past seven and a half years. Yeah, well, the, I mean, this is, again, this is the, the, the comparative piece of this is, is really difficult to pull off because you know, manufacturing has grown jobs since 2010. 
And one of the first things that the president did was rescue the auto industry, which probably saved hundreds of thousands of manufacturing jobs. Uh, and, and the sad truth is that during Republican administrations, we've lost more manufacturing jobs than we have during Democratic administrations. And, you know, it's dangerous to do this comparative political economy analysis, but you can't say it's all been terrible. I think the, I, I think the challenge is that you haven't, where there's been the deindustrialization, there hasn't been as much recovery as people would like to see. There hasn't been as much wage growth as people would like to see. And certainly with China, our prospects haven't improved that much. Uh, and so then you can point out and say that, may, yeah, maybe a new approach uh, is needed here. And we, you know, on the one hand, we have a candidate, uh, Hillary Clinton, who said a lot of different things about trade policy. Uh, and you have Donald Trump, who has said consistently he wants to rip up these deals, even though as a businessman he's done something else. You know, clearly a, a slim majority uh, have, uh, you know, decided to, to, uh, to, to take his point of view uh, and to give him a shot on this. There's no guarantee that manufacturing is going to be better uh, on its own. Uh, we're at the end of a business cycle. There's a lot, lot of global weakness. The dollar is very strong. That makes it hard to export. So there's a lot of the same challenges that are in place. The important thing is going to be what, what does Trump do about it? What does the Congress do about it? We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about some things that you may want to consider giving over the holidays, things actually made in America. You want to support people working in America. You need to buy products made in America, and we can, as consumers, do our own part, at least for now, uh, with regard to helping people keep their jobs or, heck, maybe creating some jobs over the holidays. We'll be back with Scott Paul, president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing, and you right after this. Pick up the phone and join us, 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Go to that gift-giving button. We're going to take some calls. If you're on, you want to join us, 888-6LESLIE, back after this. We are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. He is Scott Paul, and he's president of the Alliance for American Manufacturing. We've been talking about what uh, voters determined, specifically working class, who really made the difference in the outcome in this election. Trade was huge. The American manufacturing, that vote was clearly pronounced. It was widespread, and it was bipartisan. Scott, thanks for holding. Uh, welcome back. Um, let's take some calls here, and we started out. Uh, we have people that were calling about other issues who can call us back, but we want to talk about this topic. Let's go to Michael on the Bronx on line three. Michael, question or comment for our guest, Scott Paul, president of the AAM. Hi, Leslie. Hi, Scott. Major question is that how can we trust um, President-elect Trump with, <coughs> excuse me, with bringing back jobs or anything when he cannot even simply follow the law or the Constitution? We already have conflicts of interest in terms of the foreign dignitaries, in terms of his business, and then now this um, this um, tweets and stuff going around Facebook with his comments about flag burning, saying that anybody burning some flag should you should lose their citizenship or um, spend some time in prison. So how can we trust him getting jobs and if he can't even um, comply with the law and the Constitution? Uh, Scott. Yeah, Michael, it's a great question, and look, I don't know that you that you that we can trust him. I think that it's going to take advocacy to ensure that he is acting on behalf of the American people and their economic interests. And, and you've pointed out many reasons to be skeptical 
uh, about his ability or willingness to follow through on the agenda. And so it's going to be up to all of us uh, and our elected officials to ensure that he's focused on these core issues, rebuilding America, um, uh, uh, looking after the interest of manufacturing, reforming our trade policy, uh, where there was a lot of agreement between uh, Trump and non-Trump voters uh, and between some of the industrial heartland Democrats uh, and the president. Uh, so we get, we got to hold his feet to the fire, uh, just like we have to do with any other, uh, any other politician, uh, and ensure that, he's, ensure that he follows through on this. Okay. Thank you, uh, Michael. Anything else before we let you go? Yes, if I can add, um, before I go, and that is, number one, yes, very skeptical, and number two, people who think that the manufacturing wasn't so good on the Obama years, um, I beg to differ, but then they should have been paying attention to the absolute Republican obstructionism that he was facing from the Congress. Okay, that's a good question, Michael. Thank you for the call. Scott, anything regarding Republican, um, you know, obstacles and uh, the fact that, you know, left and right couldn't seem to agree on anything uh, with regard to job creation or, or the infrastructure? Uh, you know, the, the, the issue is, is very important, and I, we've been talking about infrastructure for a long time. Uh, the, the needs have grown. I just think it's right there. I, I saw a comment from Trump the other day where he was surprised that so many Republicans didn't want to spend money on it. He must not have talked to them about it. Uh, and so, look, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult to get it done uh, on, on any scale that's going to make a difference. But it's going to take leadership from the president's president is going to take some flexibility from Democrats to work with him, and it's going to take changing the minds of some of those uh, Republicans in the leadership who don't want to spend any money on anything. All right, let's take some more calls. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543. Joe is in New Mexico on line two, listening on KTRC Radio. Joe, good afternoon. Question or comment for Scott? Uh, thank you. Uh, yes, my question is very similar. Uh, as the surveys were taken, did any of these people understand that the Republicans have obstructed Obama for the last eight years? And what made him think that was going to change suddenly now? Well, that's an interesting question. And, Scott, adding to that, do you think that the reality is what people make their decisions on or their perception of the reality? In other words, perception is Obama hasn't done anything or the economy sucks or whatever. Reality is, you know, we're in a much better place now with regard to job creation and employment than we were. Um, with manufacturing, obviously not as good as we'd like it to be or in any place, but definitely better than when President Obama walked into office almost eight years ago. Uh, yeah, a lot of it is, I think, um, informed by their their belief or their opinion of the president as policies. When you ask them about their personal economic situation, uh, it actually looks better, uh, you know, than it did a couple of years ago. Um, when you ask them about the concerns they have, uh, the concerns are right there. And so it's a, yeah, it is a, it's, it's, I guess, what I would call dissonant. Um, uh, and, you know, but the primary focus of the survey was to look forward, uh, not look backwards, but to look forward uh, and see what voters what voters uh, want. And so that's what we're going to take to the Congress and say, look, this is a, this is a, a, an agenda on which there's agreement. Uh, it's going to make a difference for America. Let's move forward on it. 
We only have a couple of minutes, so I want you to talk about the great 2016 Made in America Holiday Gift Guide. Uh, by the way, you guys can find it at allianceforamericanmanufacturing.org, um, and we'll provide links to that directly. Something for everyone on the American Made list, give us some examples and ideas uh, that come out of our great 50 states. Scott, quickly. Yeah, yeah, so we do have uh, gift ideas uh, in a lot of price ranges from all 50 states, ranging from uh, organic cotton socks made in Alabama to Jay Leno's favorite set of tools made in Connecticut by Chapman uh, to denim, uh, denim jeans that are affordable, uh, made in Chicago. Uh, L.L. Bean, a company that a lot of people know that's outsourced some things, but they still do make some things in their main factory. Vitamix blenders made in the great state of Ohio. All-clad kitchenware uh, made by steelworkers in the state of Pennsylvania. So there are some great options, and some of these are household names uh, that folks can, can get, and you can buy a great gift and at the same time make a statement with your purchase and also start a great conversation because it's entirely unexpected for someone to receive something that's made in the USA. So we we offered this guide and I want to make clear Leslie that we welcome uh we welcome listener suggestions as well and we're going to add and and uh, and and grow this list uh, as we get closer to Christmas day. And look at that opportunity. There are small business owners out there who might say, hey, Scott, you guys at American Manufacturing don't know what, you know, we have uh, in our company. You know, whether it's in your basement or your garage, I mean, you know, if you have an American-made product that, you know, would be a good gift idea, 